It's all the same, only the clothes have changed. Oh yeah, Garrick has seen a million pants, and he's hemmed them all. Oh yeah, he's a cowboy. In a tailor shop he works. Oh yeah, he's wanted, wanted, dead or alive. Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast. Yep. <laughs> Just a podcast. It's a, pod- it's, a, it's a podcast where we go through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest TV show as a prequel to the Golden Age of Peak TV, and yeah, all that stuff. Arc television, whatever. Oh, this is a two-parter. Anyways, with me as always is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh, uh, <laughs> Hugh Crawford. Hi, how are we doing? <laughs> My voice almost cracked. <laughs> he put some stank on that, didn't he? I guess. I'm just going through some changes, you know. Here's my, Hugh Crawford. <laughs> in my 37th year of life, I'm finally becoming a man. <laughs> but yeah, we are doing this podcast about Star Trek, and we're talking about an episode called... Uh, What's the name of this episode again? I don't know. I forgot. I've, I've mostly forgotten it every time we've, even when I was making notes. It is called uh, Improbable Cause, which is the goddamn nothingest title ever. Eh, it makes sense, I guess. If there's a crime that happened and you're seeking out the probable cause of the crime, I guess. Odo's doing some investigating. A crime has been committed. We're seeking out the probable cause, but this cause is improbable. Yeah. It's improbable cause uh, this week on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Are we talking about it, or can I do the IMDb We're kind of talking about what a goddamn dumb title it is. I think it's a fine title. Yeah, go ahead and do your intro. It's a fine title. I was going to say, it's like it's like one of those dumb airport titles where, you, you know, like <laughs> a guy writes for, uh, like a book every 10 months and publishes it, and it's always like a Jim Blaze crime thriller. <laughs> Jim and they all they all have like nothing <laughs> title names that the mean cat nothing. did a murder. No, that's not Jim Blaze. <laughs> well, that's actually yeah, but like like improbable cause, hard force. Right, right. Hard force. Excessive cause. <laughs> excessive, yeah. Yeah. excessive cause. It, this hard they, they, executive yeah. derision. Or ex- executive cause. The the third in the trilogy of the improbable yes. cause trilogy. Yes. Um, okay. This episode originally aired on April twenty fourth. 1995 <laughs> it is episode 20 out of season three and the imdb description is as follows after an untipped is made on garrick's life odo conducts an investigation on who tried to murder the cardassian taylor and why that's it that's the whole description and that's exactly what happens yeah. this episode is what happens when you decide to take your three best actors in a show and just make them talk the whole time <laughs> And, yep. and leave everybody else out. Yeah. And it's a fantastic idea, I think. Um, Th- I, three best actors? Yeah. I'm only counting two. Well, I think Cisco. I think Cisco's one of the best actors. I, okay. I, okay yeah. I mean, he's he's fine. He, he, yeah, I he, think he's more he, than He fun. also directed. Yeah, I was about to say he directed, directed this, this one, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think this is a great episode. I was really happy with it. This one fired on a lot of different levels for me. I love this episode. And it starts off yeah. with... Uh, See, in TV history, we've had Sam and Diane, we've had Jim and Pam, and we've had Bashir and Gary. I believe you. I mean, if we're doing this chronologically, we have to go. Well, yes, they're in the middle, of course. I'm just listing the great ones in history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bashir and Garrick. Will they or will they ever? uh, (laughs) Improbable Cause starts off with Bashir and Garrick 
uh, having one of their lover spats over breakfast. Yes, yes. And uh, over Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah. This is the best Bashir stuff. Mm -hmm. Whenever he is uncomfortably confronted with his uh, feelings for Cardassian, his his vicarious feelings. Yes. Right. I think yeah, and it's a real the the greatest crime of the show. I think is is never making that a real thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. They. I mean. Oh 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 yeah. It had a real the- thing going for it. They have a palpable chemistry, <laughs> and which says a lot because Bashir has no chemistry with anybody he's ever thrown. Well. <laughs> well, okay. I, I don't. Okay, I'm just gonna ask this: Is Andrew Robinson a homosexual? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, because that seems like Andrew Robinson is clearly playing a type. Well, and I think he's doing it knowingly. Oh well, uh, yeah, they yeah, told. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I remember we went over We've this a little about bit this before. Yeah, yeah. Like in the beginning, he was totally played him gay, and then eventually, I assume the producers, maybe Berman, maybe somebody else, was like, I know we said just like camp it up, but tone it down a little bit, and so he they pulled back on his foppishness, I guess, to an extent. But he, he's been married since 1970. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's just yeah, so he's, he's a, a fantastic yeah. character. What can we yeah. say? No, that's fine. Well, okay, so this is what I was saying. To my thing about taking the three best actors in the show mm-hmm. and just putting them yeah. on the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, the, he's not, the best. Okay, here's here's my point on and asking that. It's not that I don't think that he's not capable of, of approaching that interestingly and level-headedly without being a homosexual. I guess I'm saying that, like, it seems like there is a covertness to those scenes, maybe. Because I don't know if Iris Stephen Bear was, like, saying, play more, home, like, play this like a courtship. I don't know if he's saying that, but that's definitely how Andrew Robinson's right. approaching well, it. Well, I mean, it was stated, like, go ahead and make him gay and then pull back. That was, like, actual notes that they had at some point. Is that because they were trying to make him seem like um, the character of Maltese Falcon? Maybe. I don't I, I don't know. Sydney Green, Green Street or Peter Lorre? Peter Lorre, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, well, it was because Peter Allen Fields wrote for Get Smart, I believe, was why he's a spy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's why he's a tailor. Yeah, yeah, like, apparently there's well, a Get Smart. Tinker Taylor Spy is why he's a Yeah, there's that too. But yeah. there's, at some point, the logo from uh, what's the, the spy agency in Get Smart shows up on the on a piece of set dressing or something somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think I believe that's happens in the first season somewhere, and there's definitely some allusions to that. Yeah. In the, in the writing, I, he was probably, you know, he was in the room when they made the character, so I'm sure he had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And him being a spy and all. Yeah, no, okay. So it just, it is one of the more, it is one of the, the uh, interpersonal, it's the, probably the only outside of possibly Jake and Cisco that works right now. As a relationship. Now, others grow. I think that Bashir and O'Brien grow. I think they've already grown to an extent, but it's more so. Somewhat. They've started it, but I mean, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like, I it's, not elect- it's not electric on the screen. Like, they're still just getting the pieces together. But, like, this this works. Their interaction for, for Bashir, who is a character that I think. Yeah, we're on. Two-thirds of. <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast enough, you <laughs> two-thirds know. Two-thirds of us are very critical. <laughs> we don't have to go into it. But um, it just, it plays to all of his strengths. And, and I do think it plays. Uh, homoerotically, I do. I think it plays that way. I think that it, it's nice that it doesn't get to a point where the writers felt like they had to write Bashir's experience in gay panic. Mm-hmm. We're like, whoa, 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 or you know, yeah, like yeah. none of that. Like it is. <laughs> There's no back rubs this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and it is. It, it's something that they're just very comfortable with mm-hmm. and very engaged with each other. I mean, I don't want to leak into next week's episode, but the first scene of next week's episode is showing that when Garrick's not there, there's a loss. And Bashir. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like, there is these sort of 
things. Right. It's the biggest crime of the show that they, they had something good going for it and didn't capitalize on or it. Or did you want to, like, I don't know if I ever wanted it to be done explicitly, well, but I they mean, just did. I wanted him to have, when he's blown up, just to move the ball down the field a little bit, when he's mm-hmm. blown up, Bashir doesn't have the reaction I think that he should, which is like, you know, the person I'm. My heart, my heart. Yeah, my... right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he, you know, and he, he really doesn't even have, oh, my favorite person to have breakfast with is blown up he's just like doodles in there wide-eyed oh my god you know just mm-hmm. well he's a doctor Hugh. <laughs> right well, because, and and he's... quite frankly he has garrick in the friend zone right now. yeah well yeah wow. <laughs> nevertheless the episode quickly dispenses with kira and bashir and moves quite quickly on to like <laughs> yeah. the principles which yeah you know, if, if yeah. you had just bought that book, James, if you'd bought the Andrew Robinson Garrick book, oh, the, maybe yeah. we could know. I know exactly That's one how of the he biggest feels. crimes of the Rules of Acquisition podcast is that <laughs> that wasn't purchased. Yeah. yeah, they do. To your point, that they never required it, and I was saying I don't want it ever explicitly stated, but what they do do is make Garrick clearly a homo. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Garrick yeah. clearly a heterosexual. We'll get there, and that you're right. Yeah, yeah. That is ruining the magic of it. So it's. I mean, it's arguable he could be bi you know one he's an alien and two he's i mean all that's right but it is definitely when that is portrayed as a storyline it's a a normative uh, not a yeah i hate it's a heteronormative story yeah 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 but we're not there yet yeah we'll we'll talk i'm I'm sure we'll have a a whole podcast where we go on about that yeah (laughs) we're not we're not there that's a while that's a while away but yeah yeah. we got more talking about the you know like yeah yeah. we got delavian chocolate to talk about (laughs) right now that was the gayest moment in the episode (laughs) (laughs) well what's the matter can't two guys who always have breakfast together just exchange chocolates before one goes on a long trip (laughs) sure they can yeah. And one gets him for no, his birthday was a few episodes ago, but he got it as a gift. He he got Delavian chocolate, and then it's oh, since you can't have your dessert, I will give you some of this Delavian chocolate. And Bashir is it's very, but he's like oh, but they have the conversation about like you humans always rushing through your mm-hmm. through your meals, and there I mean this. There's some great dialogue in this episode. It's just the whole thing of like, oh, oh, it's maybe a human condition. Some somebody should do a study. Like you humans have had no food scarcity for hundreds of years, but you eat like you're never gonna get your next meal. You know, that's like, such a it's f- fear amid plenty, and it points to some dark secret hidden in the human soul, a gnawing hunger. Yeah, yeah, I think that. First off, there's two things I want to say. First off, about the chocolates. Uh, you two are probably the best friends I've ever had. And though we may all be crippled with toxic masculinity, I would be uncomfortable giving either one of you chocolates. I'm bringing you chocolates next time I see you. Yeah, you know what you're going to get <laughs> the next special occasion. Um, but nonetheless, okay, so that aside, that aside. <laughs> chocolates <laughs> and a butt plug. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, uh, but, <laughs> and in my mind when I was watching it, when he gave him the chocolates, I, I almost pictured him going, but no homo, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, okay, so in that scene in the beginning where they're talking about eating, and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, and I don't, I think you're going to take this as critical, whatever, I was like, what the fuck is the scene? Like, it was such a weird interesting beast like why are they talking about this like the second time i watched it it occurred to me that it wasn't really something that a theme was developed that was paid off later on i mean it's a two-parter so maybe it is but like so i was watching it and i was kind of like this is just it's strange and it, it is it is just to give them a bit of bother a snipey bit of quarrel with each other 
And you no, know, it was fun to watch. It was like a yeah, it's like Downton Abbey or something. Like, right. Was, I, I mean, I assume like maybe even if it doesn't have to do with the story structure as much, mm-hmm. I feel like that stuff about what is wrong with humans and why can't why are they always striving and fighting like they like for their lives, for food or sustenance. Yeah. And that is part of the human condition. I felt like they thought that that kind of dialogue was just so great that they couldn't cut it. No, you know? it's great. I don't want it to be and cut. Th- like and then also, the, oh, I, I agree. I agree. And and then the scene just works so well. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're not cut. Yeah, let's just, let's just use that. One of my critiques about like the show is that like so often every bit of dialogue is so damn utilitarian yeah that like there's no like bit even in like a show like law and order you know when jerry orbach and ice t are going to the rape victim murder scene yeah yeah. like they're bitching about something that is informative to their characters but not necessarily plot points right like if you watch 10 episodes of law and order you get jerry orbach has this type of personality and Deep Space Nine could do with more of that. That's not shitty. Yeah. Well. Like, and that's a bit, that's what these scenes are. Yeah, yeah. But it was, but it was also like weird and it was, it was a great scene. It was great writing. Yeah. And I think also it's like, oh, Garrick's not our main character. We have to lead with one of our main characters. Yeah. Bashir's our main character. I know he's all, he's the guy that we've used to introduce any Garrick stories anyways. Any Garrick story is probably going to be bookended with him having dinner or lunch yeah. with Bashir. And and I don't I'm not following that. I think that's a great mm-hmm. kind of structure for it. But yeah. And then at the end, I, I don't know. I bet you at the end of the I haven't watched the second episode of this two parter. I bet at the end him and Bashir are having a meal. Yeah. Don't hold me to that. But I'm going to cheat and tell you that the first scene of the next episode is Bashir trying to talk theater to O'Brien <laughs> and O'Brien not giving a fuck. See? Oh. So like it, there is like a. Mm-hmm. That oh Bashir would have a perfect lover if he could help. could put them two together yes. and yeah yes I'm sure Garrett can learn how to play darts <laughs> true he'd probably be a better a, a more fitting dart player than mm-hmm. well I don't know. yeah but he wouldn't remind Bashir of his brutally disapproving father in the way that O'Brien <laughs> does <laughs> right so just to move the plot along a little bit because we mm-hmm. I don't want to yeah. we, we could, we we, could yeah. literally spend 45 minutes on, on breakfast on this scene right. yeah no I agree um, yeah 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 what happens is is that Garrick's shop is blown up and they're like it, from there on out it's a mystery as to why and it's used as a clever device to unveil basically Garrick's backstory and on that metric how how well do you think this works um Pretty well. Are you disappointed about how this stuff unfolds? Or are you guys pretty happy about it? Well, they do. They do a lot of talking because it's they leave Bashir behind, and then it's about Odo and Cisco talking about Garrick and what they know. And they're like, "Well, he's probably a spy." Yeah, you're right. We all know he's a spy, but they don't say, "Oh yeah, well, we've already had this discussion." They don't say, "Oh yeah, I went to go rescue Kira when she was being yeah. kidnapped by the Obsidian Order and, and made into a fake Cardassian." And yeah, I'm pretty sure the guy's a spy. They're like, "We don't know." And like, we know, but we don't have any proof. It's like, well, look, yeah, you don't, but you kind of do. Yeah. I mean, they were, they went full John LeCar pretty quick after the cold open. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it becomes like a pretty, the plot is a tad Byzantine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, but I'm telling you <laughs> this, okay, but this is exactly the kind of thing I was kind of asking. Yeah. To your point, this is exactly what I felt like we needed at this point in the season. A yeah, Byzantine, I agree. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Like, yeah, is, yeah. The grown-ups are in the room. Yes. They're all talking. Yes. Everybody else needs to be quiet. 
Because we're going to do some character excavation here. We're going to get to the bottom of mm-hmm. this, and we're actually going to take a little sidetrack into like what Odo's background is with the Cardassians, and that's sort of interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just like we're going to do character, put these two characters that haven't been together really that much, Odo and Garrick, and find out what they have in common mm-hmm. and compare. Like, I mean, they have a lot in common. They're the they're the best characters at keeping shit close to the chest. You know, he's a great spy, and, and Odo is a great investigator, and that kind of you know they. They do all that. I guess I should, at this point, we should, I think all of that is actually, that's all really great. And I, I think that's right. Um, I think that the plot is such an interesting beast on this episode. And I think that I, I'm tr- I want to defer to it because I didn't watch the second episode. And I want to defer to it as a two-parter, but it wasn't written as a two-parter. Really? The only reason it's a two-parter is because the writers wrote an unsatisfying ending. So they made this pretty interesting John Le Carre-influenced spy mystery storyline, and then at the end, unraveled it quickly. Huh. Yeah, well, but the see, escalation. That's, that's always my argument is that they they take their interesting, the most interesting concepts, and don't tease them out well enough. Yeah, and fill and like shade them in with detail, and they do that here. Yes, but like I thought quite well. So if to hear that this script started off with an iffy ending, yes. they should have done that with a few other episodes that had iffy endings. <laughs> yes. Why the third act and then like make it a two-parter? Yeah. And from what I can tell, Ronald D. Moore just put his foot down and said, I I hate this ending. This ending is, is atrocious. Oh, really? Yeah, because it is all solved in that last scene with an Avrin Taint. And like they go back to Deep Space Nine at the end of the original script. And he was like, this just... You, why build this perfect vessel to like shit the bed at the end? Yeah, and so he's right. Yeah, if the, he's uh, right. So at the, in the original script, it was like, oh, thanks a lot, Daddy. I'm your son again. I'm gonna go home. What it was <laughs> was it was it, okay. Okay, so in the original script, the isolinear rod that he tells Bashir to eat. <laughs> oh, that was the uh, thing. Okay, yeah, we could go through the plot before you get to the ending. Well, but like, it was no, no, but it was just that that was used as like a failsafe. By Garrick. And so, like, he basically called the Navrantain's bluff at the end of the episode. A Navrantain let him go lest the isolinear rod gets in, becomes, like, it's it's the it's the Trump piss tape. Oh, okay. You know, it's like whatever is on the isolinear rod, it's the Trump piss tape. So he gets Trump to let him go because it's the, yeah. So that, that was the original plot. But it was unsatisfying because you've essentially... I mean, of course, of this, we're we're gonna walk through this plot step by step. But the you know everybody's no, watching. Just this. do it right the, the, now. Yeah, I mean, we don't we won't take yeah, that the, long. Yeah, the general it, thing but. is that this whole thing was a point that the Obsidian Order got it, this giant sort of plot to invade the, the homeworld and it now has a founder as prisoner. It's perfect, and it was all kind of orchestrated to be that way. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of clever. And he was like, well, let's just let that sit. Let's let that be a consequence of the episode. But they didn't know how to get out of it without writing the next episode. And the next episode that they had on schedule was the Mirror Universe episode we did last week. Oh, okay. So they had to, like, flip the order. And Michael Piller, it was his last decision as a producer on the show, said, make it a two-parter, write the next episode about this. Yeah, good. Yeah. And so you have, yeah, yeah. We've been... Between Berman and Pillar, I think the audience <laughs> can figure out where we align. Um, yes. So I think that I almost look at this episode from the back end, from like the behind the scenes. I almost look at this as another one of those breakthroughs where they realize how to solve TV problems with better decisions. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that serves them well 
for the rest of the run of the show. Yeah, that's nice. And so I think maybe this was like a growing, I mean, like Ronald D. Moore puts this as like, he, he calls it like a covertly pivotal episode in the show. Oh, wow. So, so this is like yeah. for all the uh, fanfare that we give this show about how great and how it's a transitional piece of television. Mm-hmm. This is this is a transitional episode in that respect yes. because it was supposed to be a one-off. And they're like, wait a minute. No, let's not solve this the easy way. Let's solve this the satisfying way. Yeah. Even, you know, we have this seed planted in the Tom Riker episode yeah. where the Obsidian Order is building a fleet. In the Arias Nebula or whatever. Mm-hmm. We knew that that episode was good for something. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too bad it didn't do any good for Tom. He's still wasting away in a Cardassian <laughs> prison. Oh, God. Uh, so, but it probably launched 10 Deep Space Nine books about Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tom yeah. the prison series, yes. Yeah, yeah. The Romulans kidnap. Oh, I, I, I went over that. <laughs> Go listen to that episode, and I talk about some of those. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, the power conduit in the Taylor shop blows up, and then they figure out it's a bomb, and then they figure out because of natrillin traces that it was probably a mic. It wasn't the ODN junction. Techno babble, techno babble, because there was a pheromonic sensor, something or other, and that's something that is the expertise of Flaxian assassins. And then they find a Flaxian, and he has perfume, and the Nodo says, I don't smell anything, I'm mixing <laughs> perfume. he's got fabulously ugly makeup. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's a catfish with hair curlers in, yeah. basically. <laughs> sort of like, yeah, and, and the whiskers from his catfish face tie into the curlers in his hair. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rataya, the Flaxian assassin, question mark. Yeah. But yeah, the, he's mixing perfumes, and the guy's like, no, no, don't do that. And then Odo is, a, this is a good Columbo Odo episode, or he's like, oh, I'm looking for a fragrance for a friend. And then the guy's like, a lady friend? He's like, oh, how did you know? And then they mix a bunch of spices, or fragrances, and then he's like, don't do that. It's like, oh, why? Because it would give a person a heart attack and the guy's like i don't know i had no idea but anyway he outs the guy as an assassin basically and then they're gonna go fly off and let, he's gonna let the guy go and then o'brien has placed a transponder and somewhere on his ship to track him with which is just a thing i guess i don't know if they need a court order or anything to do that kind of shit but they just do it because he's got the okay from cisco and Odo is going to go track the ship as it leaves the station, and then Garrick is sitting in the runabout. Yeah. And he's like, get the fuck out of this runabout. <laughs> and then he's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And well, real quick, this has one of my favorite things that runs through all of Deep Space Nine is somebody has to ask Cisco for permission to have a runabout. <laughs> yeah. There's that's my favorite. That's like, and every time they do it, they always have that like dad can have the keys to the car. <laughs> exactly. Odo manages to do it and not sound like a child. So right. I well, he's like the, he's like the firstborn son that's doing the right thing every time or something. Cause he asked for the keys like two or three times in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then Cisco's like, yeah, sure. Hey, Oh, I'm going to need to run about. Yeah. All right. Take it. Well, see, the thing is with, with Odo though, he's like the, like the cranky grandpa that lives with you. Yeah. Like you, you're not going to tell him he can't drive the family car. Oh yeah. Oh, I totally get it. And then later on, he's like, yeah, they get in, the, they follow the Talaxian, and I'm going to, I'm a great asset here. I can do this and whatever. But then anyways, the Talaxian ship explodes when it's about to go into warp and they come back. And then that was Odo's only lead. And he's talking to Cisco again. I'm skipping over some, some great scenes here. And then <laughs> uh, Odo, Odo is like, oh, I have an, I do have a contact in Car- a Cardassian contact that I can contact. 
And um, Cisco is like, oh, can you tell me about that? I bet you'd rather not. And Odo is like, yeah, I'd rather keep my sources to myself. So he goes off. Uh, Garrick has a nice, he has a nice red jacket in this that we haven't seen yet. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the first time where he doesn't look awful. Oh, Garrick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he looks fly as hell. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he looks pretty good. He's got that green outfit he wears in this. It's like some Jack Kirby awesome shit. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. He looks great. He does a lot, but lately, like, lately it's all looked very uncomfortable for him. Oh, oh it's all better. uncomfortable. Yeah. But he's been wearing the same green thing since season one, I think. Yeah. Anyways, the warp core explosion for the Flaxian ship. The ship blows up and they bring it back and O'Brien is like, well, it, it was a neutrino inversion thing before it went into warp and that's a Romulan. The Romulans use a uh, something something neutrino inversion thing in their explosion. So they're like, oh, why did the Romulans kill this Flaxian? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Cisco has a good scene and then Odo has this contact in the Cardassian Obsidian Order, I presume. And so he goes to the, meets his cave cardi, and then the guy asks him if he still does the neck trick or whatever. Tell me, do you still do the Cardassian neck trick? No, I don't. Do we even know what that is? Like what they're referring? Does he just make his neck look like a yeah, yeah, cling? yeah? I figure it's just like he just like a, like a Cardassian's neck, right? He just stretches his neck out yeah, in he, a weird way. Yeah, he he hasn't figured out noses, but he's figured out Cardassian necks. I guess is the, he's the Rob Liefeld can draw pouches, but not feet. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it, the way they talk about it, it's like they're at a Tijuana donkey show and he's <laughs> shooting golf yeah, balls I, I, out they, or something. That's exactly. That's exactly. And he's embarrassed, like, no, I don't do that anymore. I I respect myself. It's used to like the Goodfellas with like, go and get your shine box. Like, yeah, I don't know if you have, but I don't do that anymore, you see? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyways, and then, yeah, the cave Cardi, sorry, pardon the slur, is like, oh, you're not not digging deep enough. And then he tells them there's like five other Cardassian agents that have died the day before when his shop exploded. Three from natural causes and two from accidents. And, and when Odo's like, were they murdered? It's like, oh, no, it was natural causes and accidents. But it was all Flaxians, yeah. presumably. Like, the Flaxian makes people have heart attacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... And then, so, Odo goes back, and there's a this the scene with Odo and Garrick where he confronts them after this is a pretty great scene where uh, they're just sparring back and forth. And, you know, like, you blew up your... Yes, the thing we haven't mentioned yet, he blew up his own tailor shop, right? Well, that's the way it comes out. You blew up your own shop, Garrett. We kind of knew that, right? Yeah, but like how one of the things that they do, a, a trick in writing mysteries is that how you make your in main investigator, Odo in this, seem smart is that he realizes things that you don't see him realize. Right. That's like good mysteries versus bad mysteries. And so like that scene with that, you thought he realized to himself... They're killing off all of the Obsidian Order agents. But when he goes back and you think they're going to have a scene where all of the things that you just saw him realize, he will convey to Garrick. But what he conveys to Garrick is a deeper, yeah. like he he's thinking a move ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so it makes Odo seem just that much more perceptive yeah, it, it totally because he's works. one step. Yeah, yeah. It was deeply yeah, satisfying yeah. in a way that we hadn't had yeah. it was. maybe all season from a character. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, where a character is smarter than the audience yeah, yeah. Right, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like it, Even though, uh, I mean, I don't even remember the original feeling because I knew that 
because I've seen this episode, like, you know, this might be my fourth time seeing this episode, but yeah, yeah I don't remember the original feeling, but it's, it's still very satisfying, even though you know the reveal. Yeah, yeah. Because, because yeah. of how he conveys that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it's just, it's a writer's trick, but it's an effective one, and I like that, and they did it a couple times in this episode. Yeah. And so, when he when yeah, he no. confronts like you probably enjoyed blowing up your sh- shop and you can see that yeah he really did cuz he actually hates it. <laughs> yeah. And I I think it's you know it's clever of the plot where he never really What's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. My puppy came in and oh. started crying a little bit. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. This. There's nothing I can do about that. Hey, I, that's I, so adorable. I, yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey. If our listeners hate puppies, man, <laughs> you can call call into the voicemail if you hate puppies, and yeah. and we'll see what kind of sympathy you get. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know he. You guys could pick up on that. No, it was. Right? It's either this or or like he howls and the other like you hear like a baby howl. You're enjoying your new puppy, um, aren't you? I mean, I'd rather him. Just not howl, but he's a. <laughs> that sounds how the. Oh yeah, he yeah. sounds like James Earl Jones coming out of a twelve pound puppy. <laughs> yes, but anyway. Yeah, no. So like, uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, no. So and then. Uh, oh yeah. Oh no. I was gonna say that it's clever that they don't have Garrick admit to it. You know, like they keep that up with Garrick, where he never confirms or denies well, anything. I feel like, and then it, well, Odo calls him out. He confirms it in another scene. In but, this like, scene, he doesn't, and yeah. he's like, "Look, I know you're obscenity in order," and then. Mila call they call in mm-hmm. and she's a big character later yeah. on they call up and he's like oh I don't know anything about but maybe a Nobrantain would right is that how and then he's looking for a Nobrantain where he is and he talk and he calls a they scramble the signal and, and he's like oh that's an interesting way of scrambling it's simple and he's like oh I thought you would enjoy the aesthetics but basically Odo's like I figured your shit out I know you're obsidian order and he's like okay fine because he's yeah. like oh I, I'd be celebrating these five guys death or whatever and then they call up a Nobrantain except he's not there and then this is the first time we see Mila mm-hmm. who's a character like a Nobrantain that we see later on she's yeah. And I guess she's like his longtime companion. She's been an uh, Brantain's housekeeper and assistant for 30 years. Well, he says confidant or something. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, but, you know, the, whatever euphemism they use, they're lovers, I think. I don't is, know. Is she could cl- be as, like, what's the name of Sherlock Holmes as his landlord or whatever. Like, she, oh, yeah, she's yeah, very matronly, you know. Yeah, yeah. but. I mean, she's. I she was think a, there's something. Going, I think they like they were trying to shade in some stuff that's not just like Tane's like landlady. Like he just hands a wad of cash to her at the first of every month. Yeah, I don't know. I it could have been like that, his that, his I, housekeeper. Yeah. So anyway, Miller shows up. And, and says, Tane hasn't been around for a while. I don't know where he is. And she's, you have to help him. You have to promise me that you'll save him. And Garrick actually says, I promise. And and for the first time, you actually believe him. <laughs> He's like, oh, is he lying now? It's like, no, I don't think he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to need a runabout. And then Odo is like, yeah, I, I got this. Dad always gives me the keys. <laughs> but it's nice because they flip the script a little bit. Like, you know, earlier it's Odo's, it's I'm going to need a runabout. And then this time it's Garrick's, I'm going to need a runabout. Yeah. yeah. Or we'll need yeah. a runabout. Like, yeah. yeah. And so they're they're firmly together here. Do we, I just want to backtrack for a minute. Do we know, because I, I can't remember this and we can be vague about it. Do we know who Odo's contact was? I don't remember either. Yeah. I don't, now that I don't remember. And I don't remember if it gets revealed later on, but I don't feel like it. It felt like kind of out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was somebody that doesn't look the same as when Odo saw them before. So right. I don't think it's a, 
I think that's more of like a world building thing. Yeah. I think I want to call him Deep Neck. <laughs> deep Neck, yes. Yeah, Deep Neck is a good <laughs> name for that guy. He's got a, the, yeah. the actor sounds amazing. Like the voice acting that the guy's oh, yeah. doing. And they actually, the cool close ups. That Oh, like, yeah, just I, his eyes. Yeah. That, that really worked in a way that visually stuff on Star Trek doesn't usually go for that. Kind yes. of like striking visuals. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was the way they filmed Hal Holbrook in All the President's Men. Oh, Man, yeah. Right? Oh, oh, hell. that's a yeah, nice like, nod. That, that, that's, that's exactly yeah, that's it. <laughs> Is he in a monkey costume? Because son, of a, <laughs> son of a bitch. I can't even believe. Yes, of course that's what this is. Yeah, you yeah. you can't just leave these guys. You can't give them credit for coming up on shit in their own. Everything's a little nod to something in this show. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. So deep deep neck as well. And everything's a remix. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, buy that. Fine. But, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with it too. But here it is. Everything in this show looks like it was shot in a shopping mall and in like some shitty sweaters. <laughs> and then they have one set of striking visuals, and it's because they lifted it from something else. I would have liked to give it credit for once for being creative on its own. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta say, just like it's a small point because I mostly loved this episode. This was a, and I don't know what Avery Brooks was supposed to do to fix it. This was a visually uninteresting episode, except for like, the, except was, for the cape stuff. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was. Just a, yeah, it was, it, it was it's like high up. Where he's talking from, and yeah. like, we've but, seen yeah. that cave before, but like just yeah, we've the, seen the, the framing. Is like... We've seen that cave every year since 1966. <laughs> right. yeah. But it was just such a sort of locked tripod three. It was such a boring episode. Visual. It's a talking heads show. Yeah, so the show. Really, yeah. yeah, that's what it is most of but the time. But isn't. But that's what like, and I'm, I'm not knocking Avery Brooks here. He's, they don't hire him to be. Uh, what's the name of the guy who directed? True Detective, Nick Pizzolatta, uh, Carrie oh, Fuka. No, 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 no. Carrie Fuka. They don't hire. They didn't hire him to be Carrie Fukunaga. Yeah. But the way you film a Talking Heads show is you strain to make it visually interesting. <laughs> you you find interesting ways to do it. This sort of first reverse shots, like sort of soap opera filming. I mean, it's it's not creative. It's serviceable, but it's not creative. And for that's the knock on this episode. Here's the thing. Network TV didn't have a workaround for this until Aaron Sorkin came up with the walk and talk. With the walk and talk. That's exactly right. The fact of the matter is there's plenty of walk and talks in in Next Generation and in the OG uh, Star Trek. Oh, uh, they they walk and talk the fuck out of Deep Space Nine sometimes, too. In Avery Brooks' directed (laughs) episodes, I've seen it. So, I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, what happens is on those shows, they run out of corridor because they have have one corridor for every shot. So they have to, you know, the walk and talks have to be brief. That's exactly. We get a short. Romulan walk and talk, not like a full Sorkin walk and talk. Yeah. They paid for that corridor. Yeah. So that's actually a pretty interesting vision, not visual. I guess we're not there yet. Well, oh, about the, well, I was going to say that was a pretty interesting reveal. As they're searching for oh, yeah, yeah. an Auburn team, then this giant Romulan warbird, yeah. uh, warbird uncloaks on top of them. And I, I love the uncloaking. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, everybody knows that I love the Romulans. Yeah, yeah. So you're, I just love that. Your two favorite here, general. the Romulans and the Cardassians. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the Unefra yeah. system, which sounds like a prescription commercial thing that you see yes it does <laughs> i take you nephrin. yeah i take you nephrin. it's good for my depression and my urethra yes. Yes. i'm really the, uh, upset about my non-working yeah. dick the intergalactic <laughs> political landscape here gets set up a little bit differently where basically the federation for once is being like shut out and they're not like 
the players of destiny that they usually are, right? Yeah. And that's interesting. Right. Well, because they're nice guys. It's the two dicks going in like, yeah, we're going to go blow up these guys. (laughs) And like, again, and everybody knows, I I, I don't know. I love Palace Intrigue. That's the part of the Star Trek lore that I like the most. And the fact that we're going to get into like three hard seasons of Palace Intrigue excites me with all of these different sort of, at the houses, with all the like the House Romulan and House Cardassian and the House House of and House of Quark. (laughs) We did. Yeah. Yeah. All of these, so the Game of Thrones element of it that starts up pretty mm-hmm. soon is, is what I like the most. And this is sort of the first time. Yeah, we're getting there. Where events are, that's sort of like, in general, no spoiler, but in general, the next few seasons are the Deep Space Nine having to keep things in order while unaffiliated factions make these crazy decisions that Cisco and them have to manipulate. You're getting these big unwieldy forces also descending onto this, basically this hole in space. That's what's super exciting about this show to me. And this is the first time you see that where people are making decisions outside of the, not against the, yeah. Fa- like, well, they even say st- it's like, Oh, this is out of Starfleet's hands. Like we're doing this. They don't, they're, they're yeah, going to sit they by just, side. Like we're not yeah. attack. Is, uh, yeah. Like there's not a lot in Star Trek where you have the Romulans attacking the Federation. You have the Cardassians attacking the Federation. You have the Klingons attacking the Federation. You don't really have the Federation is irrelevant to this discussion as far as everybody's concerned. So, you know, you do have like other nations making decisions for other nations. And I, I don't think that they're hasty. If there was a hole in space where unstoppable bad guys are going to shoot out oh, of it. Oh, this is like, this is very much like a George W. Bush style preemptive <laughs> strike. Yeah, well, that well, since they're going in and attacking them, but the whole concept, the multiple concepts of blowing up the goddamn hole, makes sense to me. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know but why. they're like, but but I I get why they don't want yeah. to, but I get I, you can't fault. But them that's for, not what. That's not what they're going yeah, to do. Like, yeah, like yeah. So they go in and Nabrantain has been working with the Romulans and that fleet in the Tom Riker episode has been a joint Talshiar Obsidian Order thing outside of Central Command. They're gonna go in and fuck up the Dominion because they shared intelligence. They're gonna destroy that founder's homeworld, mm-hmm. which And how do they how are they gonna find the founders homeworld? Because they shared information. Well, they already shared well, that's true. Starfleet but... already has it, so but they're like but they're also like, but they're going to use their big bargaining chip. Just walked in the yeah, totally on the bridge. So yeah, and, and, and then you sort of see like the sort of the the manipulation game throughout this whole sort of episode. It's been, it's been fabulous, right? And then they give Garrick an ultimatum. But mm-hmm. when the confrontation between Garrick and and Tain, I mean, just like where it's like, I never betrayed you. I never betrayed you. And that that whole scene, I mean, yes. that whole moment was pr- pretty great. I mean, yeah, and then Anabrante's like, you know what? For once, I believe you, Garrick, because he's, well, he's like, well, I'm going to have to kill you, and then Garrick's like, but no, I loved you. Yeah. I tried to save you, and the guy's like, well, okay. And the reason, I guess, he, that he's killing, uh, that he killed the three and was going to kill Garrick was because of, I hate to go back to this, but, like, let's look at it, is that there is a some sort of Anabrantane Russian piss video. Like, we don't know why, and they don't specify why, but there is some piece of information oh. that could like be a used. a silver bullet that can that yeah. kill them. Or, or it's just like spycraft they know is secret. I mean, even if it's not a piss video. I'm not saying it's literally a piss <laughs> no, no, video. Yeah, I'm yeah, just saying yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> but, well, like, he, because Cardassian society is all about fucking over the other guy to get move yourself up. Kind of. They're backstabbers. Yeah, but he's above them. But yeah, yeah. But like there's some either. Well, he he's, wants to because he's, he's the only leader of the Obsidian Order who has been able to retire. Yeah. Usually they end up being 
killed. And then this whole gambit, this was a whole gambit by him to get back into the game. And he's he's going to re-enter being the leader of the Obsidian Order. And he, he almost gives a rule, a rule of acquisition, dum, 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 name of the show, uh, <laughs> where he's like, oh, always burn your bridges behind you because you never know who's following you. Yeah. And then there's like, I never betrayed you. And and then he gives Garrick, okay, well. Having not watched the second, I assume that the isolinear rod is the piss, is a piss video. Sure, sure. Because that was, they made a big deal about it, and I know it was in the original script, so I don't know. yeah. I know that that's what it was in the original script, so I assume it's still playing that function, but will pay off in the second episode. I'm guessing. I don't remember yeah, anything about the second episode. They just episode. know about, I mean, without, even if it, they know about his methods, like, exactly. they're yeah. his competition, yeah. should it come to. Yeah, and it makes sense that Garrick would have the, a Rorschach file. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. The, I don't know. Do I need to? Uh, people watch that Snyder movie, unfortunately. <laughs> so I don't have to explain it. Well, before it was a movie, it was a groundbreaking comic. <laughs> it James. was a better. It was a better groundbreaking comic book. But okay, so they let them go. Also, I want to say that there's this interview scene that's the kind of. It's a trope. I don't. I like. That, you know, everybody likes the tropes they like and hates the yes. tropes they don't right. like. Like, like uh, for instance, you hate the, I just got to get back to my family guy. I hate that, yeah. <laughs> I hate that. That's almost cliche, but yeah, I don't like that as a trope. But the having a conversation to explain the smart craft of the writing is what they do here where Garrick asks them, he makes a racial insult about Romulans. Oh, yeah, I like that, though, yeah. <laughs> And then Garrick had to, uh, and and had to explain to Odo what Garrick was doing about like why he made this racial slur. And like, it's the kind of. That was beautiful uh, though, because otherwise. No, no, no. I love that. I love that stuff. And I, and I probably to a fault write that kind of shit because I think I'm clever and then I want you to realize that <laughs> right. I'm clever. I could defend like, it and, <laughs> and then yeah. reveal my uh, loyalties or I could let it go and just let it seed some discord. Yeah. And so it is like, and I. I have no doubt that that's what happened is that the writer wrote it, said it was clever and then realized that that probably didn't come across (laughs) strong enough and then wrote, but I love that kind of thing because I like Spycraft. Yeah. Yeah. I like, John Le Care novels uh, that I've never read. But I like, I like, <laughs> like Sucker Taylor's. Fuge and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I like, I, I like that sort of multi-level people playing, talking on different levels and in codes and signifiers. Uh, and, and explaining that is fun. Not the explaining it, but explain it to me so I realize it and then like I can enjoy it better. Uh, and so that's what like that is. And I think that that's really, that's the kind of fun dialogue that, we've missed for a lot of the doldrums of the season. So yeah, this season, this was a breath of fresh air. I felt like, yeah, that yeah. we desperately needed something. <laughs> we did. Well, I, I felt like we were, <laughs> we were falling apart. guys. like, no, well, it was the same. It followed the same pattern that it did in the second season where the middle bot, like the torso of the yeah, season was just, it's the was, weak was, sauce. was content, was, was weak. And it forced us to fight amongst ourselves. I know. I was really worried that he was going to like decide like, Fuck it, guys. No, I hate Star Trek. Y'all can do this podcast on your own. Like, no! This this season really had me questioning. I really did. I mean, there's some other stuff going on outside of Star Trek that I was wondering if I liked, too, about science fiction. But, But, yeah, this season really had me questioning, like, what is it I actually like about this show? And this this episode kind of brings it all back to the forefront. Well, I think that it was like for me, and I, I, I don't know, like for last season, you also had that. Uh, it was really bad for a really long time, yeah. and then you had Blood Oath, which I loved, and I think we all basically thought was a cut above. Yeah. And then it basically it, it righted itself into having like a really strong finish 
almost to the point where you're excited. About yeah. It. We're, we're excited about season three, and then season three started strong, and then we got into the meridians and the fascinations. <laughs> and I yeah. mean, I think, like, for most fans, past tense was strong, but it was contentious for us. So I, like, I, I feel hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is back to the, like, this yeah. is the back to and the... I like, feel the, like the, the level's been getting higher since season one. Yeah, we've yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. gotten, you know, the highs have gotten higher, too. It's like it's from Duet, which is, like, one of an all-time great. Sure. But yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you. I feel like even when it's bad, that quality is still a cut above, you know, like, forgetting how to talk or move along home. Yeah, it's getting yeah, better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the one where they forgot how to talk? Oh, Bab. Babble. Babble. Like, Babble, I think, is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. And, yeah. (laughs) And mostly because it's boring. I mean, boring is one of its primes. But I think that we're probably out of it for the rest of the season, right? Yeah, we're near the end of this season. We're This is like, is this 20? This is 20. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we we have like six more episodes of the season. Yeah, but that's so, that's still uh, near the end. We're at episode twenty right now. Yeah. The giant consequential last episode of the season. Oh yeah. You have the episode that I particularly remember loving, which is about Jake and Benjamin building. Oh, a, that's a the one boat. after this conclusion to this two part. Such a hard on. You bring that. I know. <laughs> I I don't know. It, it may suck, <laughs> and I and that episode will be about how Chris Paul and I have been realizing that something that I remember from ten years ago really loving. And I don't love it now, <laughs> but yeah. I I don't know. Like it was the kind of the kind of like little story in the middle of a bigger story that I kind of like. I think that that's the kind of like change of pace episode instead of like let's turn everything into a comedy of errors. I or mean, you know, I like, remember liking that episode fine, but I also remember liking it as much as episodes that I thought were episodes that were fine that y'all were just like fuck this and I'm like no. It's not that bad. Well, this let's be let's be honest. It's fifty fifty that I'm gonna say fuck that episode. Yeah, when yeah. I watch it. Well, yeah. If we go back to the tape, I believe you said we've got a great episode coming up called Equilibrium. Right. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I remember that. So, so I'm who not, knows how it the thinks. memory falters. That's how it is with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I am a big rose colored glasses guy. Yeah. Uh, and and I realize that more and more as you get older. So. Uh, I yeah. think that this one ends and we kind of kind of went over how it ended, right? Yeah, There's yeah. Tane, I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're at the end, right? Yeah, he gives him the ultimatum yeah. and he's going to join his... So Garrick has now turned on our friends on the show. He is now back with the Obsidian Order. Odo is now a prisoner of, of the Obsidian Order as a ransom chip and or shield while the, the Cardassian Romulan war fleet barrel towards the Founder's homeworld to provoke the war that we've been trying to avoid all season. So it's to be continued for next week. Yeah. Do you guys want to go over what you think this was rated? 8.3. And then we'll get into Plankton rules. Huh. Uh, you say 8.3? I know that next week's episode is ranked higher. I don't know. I mean, I don't know right, that. But I just, I'm second part of there, two-parters usually do. Yeah, That and it, it's got a very pivotal sequence. Okay. That well, I, I, I don't remember I, it, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a very famous sequence in, in Deep Space Nine happens in the next episode. Um, you said 8.3. I think it hits 8. I think it hits 8. It's eight. I'm guessing eight. This one's got 732 votes, and it's at 8.6. Damn. God I was damn. like, really? I, I thought 8.3 <laughs> was like, it's a Garrick episode, and it's a good yeah. one. So, this I mean, what are you going to do? This one is firing on all cylinders. I'm telling you what, yeah. guys. People like this one. Now, that brings me to our good friend, friend of the show, the fourth <laughs> member of the Rule <laughs> Whether he know it or not. Yes. <laughs> or she. Uh, I don't know. Or she. Uh, Plankton Rules. This one doesn't have a star rating for it, 
Oh, and, but it's got a short. It's this, the title of this one is "Oh, that tricky Garrick." The bromance <laughs> between Doctor Bashir and Garrick is almost cut short when somehow someone tries to blow up Garrick. He manages to survive. The question is now: Who is trying to kill him? Why? Well, he is Garrick. Is is capitalized? Naturally, Odo heads the investigation. And the trail leads several directions to an assassin who he is himself soon killed by the Romulans. It all ends. With someone in Cardassian named Tane. Someone named What's Tane. What's up with all this? After all this, you learn quite a bit, and that's only in the first, the multi-part episode. All in all, this is a decent episode, full of entry, <laughs> it's okay. explosions, and Odo being grouchy. Worth seeing. So, Plankton rules almost reluctantly is okay with this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the rules I think we're starting to learn a little bit about him I think he's a man uh, driven by the simpler pleasures <laughs> of art <laughs> yeah, you know like yeah I, I don't know how many uh, like you know he ain't watching Godard films I guess is what I'm saying like, like, oh, and neither oh, am I do, but, you, do you Plankton rules oh are you offended <laughs> that we're calling <laughs> I'm, I'm moving to calling him like a simpleton uh, uh, yeah he's no longer a friend of the pond <laughs> like, no uh, until he calls yeah, in but, uh, if you know <laughs> this guy I don't know why <laughs> He would, well. Wouldn't that basically be, like, I mean, I, I I would love I receive a bear to call our show at one yeah. point or something like that. But probably more than that is the day that Plankton Rules calls That's into our podcast. That's when we've made it. Where goes Plankton Rules, there goes the world. Here's the thing, though. I know a lot of you jokers out there listen, think you can just call us and claim that you're Plankton Rules. But we're actually, we're not going to, like, we, we need to vet this information. <laughs> yeah, we do. We need we need a, we need a verification system yeah, we, on that. We need to, yeah. So if you're re- the real Plankton Rules, you need to come. Come strong or don't come at all. He would have to provide us with his Amazon account information <laughs> and your credit card number and social security. No, not that. But you know <laughs> what I mean. Like, like ten questions that only Plankton Rules would know about their own <laughs> writing on Nine. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we'll have to. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. We, We're, we should get into voicemails, huh? Okay. Yes. yes. All, all right. right. I came here to save you. Never thought I'd hear myself say this, Garrick. But I believe you. All right. Hello, and welcome to our priority transmissions for this week. We've got some uh, great voicemails here. Do we want to just jump on into it? Yeah, hit it. Uh, Of course, yeah. All right. Give us the good stuff. All right. I want pure, uncut, the good stuff. All right. First off, here we got a voicemail from Greg in North Carolina. All right. I think our new um, our new past tense, I believe, is distant voices now. <laughs> We've got a lot of people. Oh, oh, did we get over? I mean, because the way that we receive the voicemails and record them and post them, okay. there's a lot of, a lot of people. But it's not because it's not because this this episode is especially loved, is it? Uh, no, 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 no. I think okay, um, okay, okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I just think people have a lot to say about Bashir. Yeah, we've had a lot to say about Bashir. We and yeah, that's all fair. Yeah. All yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Maybe if we wouldn't say, stop saying these crazy controversial things. It's not that controversial. Yeah. People have thoughts. <laughs> they want to talk about what we're talking about, and we welcome it. We want to hear from all of you. So, but anyways, yeah, well, this is great. We from- all know how clickbaity Deep Space Nine <laughs> journalism is. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's we actually. Yeah, we're not invested in this all. We're we're just fame whores. Yeah, chasing that DS nine clicks. <laughs> we would like to be talking about deep things we like on a deeper personal level, but gotta be chasing that deep space nine clicks, man. <laughs> yeah, that's where the zeitgeist is, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, here's Greg. Hey, this is Greg calling from North Carolina, and I'm calling after listening to your commentary on distant voices. First off, my comment is about the podcast dynamics. It's a little uncomfortable when Wade is getting beaten by the other two of you to the point where I feel like he doesn't have time to speak. <laughs> I know that you two both hate Julian Bashir and Alexander Siddig, but still, it's a little weird. As for the episode itself, here's what I would say. It's not good. Siddig does what he can. But here's the thing. I think you're mistaking Alexander Siddig's acting ability and Julian Bashir's character for the common problem that has been uh, in place since TMG of the writers don't know how to write anything for the Doctor. Beverly Crusher got a whole lot of bad episodes. There's a character focus where she's trapped in her son's science experiment. Didn't really have a lot to do there, even though it was all about her. There's the episode where she has to fuck a ghost candle. That was uh, that was her character focus, and it is one of the worst <laughs> shit in the entire franchise. And let's look at what Bashir's had to deal with in DS9. Well, let's see. He's had his mind scrambled and taken over by somebody in the first season, the Mastermatis Persona, where he has his mind scrambled and taken over by somebody else <laughs> the rest of the crew this time. <laughs> then the one thing where he's been really good in the second season so far is The Wire, which is as much a uh, Garrick episode as Bashir, but for once, Bashir gets some good writing for his character focus. So I think this is a problem that's been going for a while. Bashir's just the one to suffer from the latest iteration. Distant Voices tries to give more character focus, but it doesn't have any previous writing to stand on. So that's where the issue comes in. I don't think Sadig is a bad actor. I think that he's not amazing, but he's got some range. And I've mentioned it before in my previous messages, Quickening is going to showcase that a lot better because, again, he's going to have some actual writing to work with. So that's what I think the issue is. Bones made it a little unfair because he got to be cranky, and that gave him more personality even when he didn't have the best writing. And Crusher did not have good writing. Sadig so far has not had good writing, but he's going to get better, and he's going to be better for it. That's all. Bye. Well, I have to say that Gates McFadden is incredibly more watchable than Sig. <laughs> See, but. okay, I'm going I'm to play. Hey, I just want to say, yeah, he's right, guys. Yeah, we- Y'all should be nicer to me. It is always, it is. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. No. It's always hard when it's two against one. Mm. Uh, but you're right. We were. Oh, I can take I, it. I, I don't need him. I, I, did, I don't need Greg White knighting for me. I, I can take your no. shit, you <laughs> fucking assholes. No, but I, I distinctly, when I re- listened to distant voices, I was like, we're, we're brigading you, man. We're, you know, <laughs> like so. I, 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 that's a fair. Criticism. I don't think you're assholes. I will say that I am a, I am one of those weird Star Trek Next Generation fans that likes Pulaski more than Crusher. You're not weird. I like Pulaski an awful lot too. I mean, I think Greg makes it it's interesting when he brings up bones got to be cranky mm-hmm. and that was an easier thing to play even without well that's what pulaski gets to do too she's the bones of tng yeah and they're both kind of like both pulaski and deforest kelly yeah yeah they both, both they're uh, both alcoholics <laughs> <laughs> on, the well, show, both, on the show i don't know about uh, their yeah. personal lives well yeah and they were both uh old old tv character actors mm-hmm. and so because I'm, I'm i'm right on this it's plasky was on episodes of the original series right yes she was on one episode where she was in like the young ingenue yeah hmm. so i mean like i think they were a little more jaded and knew their role on the show and probably and gates mcfadden who seems like a really nice person and was royally fucked over by who was the maury shinebound roddenberry no ryan what was it yeah it was roddenberry and 
And the, the Maury, yeah. Morty, oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Well, I, I think Gates McFadden is, is fabulous. Yeah, and yeah, she, yeah. No, and, no, the no, writing, just... and the writing isn't that great on that stuff. And there's some unfortunate Next Generation episodes. She was a choreographer on Labyrinth, man. She got she to, was, and she wasn't. I mean, she, she wasn't. Got to a, teach David she, Bowie how to dance. That's <laughs> true. Beverly she, Crusher got to be a mom and a parent. And there was some, she legit, like the stakes were a little bit higher for her. Yeah. You know, everything she did, she had to think about like, you know, her son too. Mm -hmm. She was a wounded person. She was a widow. She had to deal with that too. And then she also had to work for the man who was responsible (laughs) for having her husband killed. So she had a little bit more to work with. She's got a lot in common with Cisco. Her spouse was killed by Picard. I think Cisco and Crusher would have been, if you were going to part out Next Generation, Mm. they were going to jettison somebody in the fourth season and then put somebody else like, Crusher on Deep Space Nine, I think would have been. Great. That would have been. Are you sh- are you shipping Cisco and Crusher? Uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't think that's where he was going, but I will. Not necessarily. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think that's he, what, was, what he was saying. But yeah, I'll say it. I'll I'm, say I'm, it. Yeah, I'm that... kind of for it. I'm kind of for it. Oh, I'm for it. Here's the thing. What I want from a ship's doctor. Here's what I want <laughs> is shipping. You need to have somebody who's going to have an outside point of view, like an outside the military mindset point of view. Yes. Yeah. You know, okay. Coming from a position of authority. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a, another authority figure who can't easily a technical professional, but not a military professional. And that, that can't be easily dismissed or mm-hmm. discounted. Yeah. And Bashir carries none of that weight with his. I mean, with his profession. No, they tried to. Well, when when Robot Pope when Robo Pope died, he pulled that on um, Kyra Ratchet. She's like, "Oh, that's not very Starfleet." And he's like, "I'm a doctor first. I don't care if the treaty doesn't get made. I'm looking out for my patient, and if he dies, that's on me. That's what I don't care about. I, Not about this treaty, but that's the one thing. And, you know, y'all weren't very fond of that episode, his acting. Well, I, you're right. But I think that, I mean, even if, even the people that really like Bashir, and even if I'm going to be really generous to Bashir, you would say that it's, even if Alexander Siddig is not a weak actor, Bashir is... A, not even structurally, not like a weak character, but like a weak person. Yeah, he's just kind of white bread and like he's, yeah. Yeah, how he's written right now. Obviously, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, the show goes I'd be with that. Areas. Like, yeah, he, I mean, Greg's right. Like, Bones got to be a grump mm-hmm. and Pulaski was the same kind of thing and she's great. And Crusher gets a whole different kind of dynamic as a mother. And like, Bashir just, he's a young, kind of a like arrogant dick. He doesn't get to be the contrarian, like, no, shut up. I'm the medical officer. He doesn't get to, he never gets to go up to Cisco and say, I don't care if, if you're the commander here. I'm I'm the one person on this station that can tell you what to do, which is what Bones pulled all the time on Kirk. Mm-hmm. And so did, um, yeah. you know, that happened with all the doctors except Bashir, really. And he's, I mean, you're right. You you have him, he's right. Greg's right. Like, you constantly have him being taken over. He's constantly chasing pussy in, like, a pretty weak sauce way, not in, like, a James Bond way, but in, like, a... <laughs> not yet. Like a, like, <laughs> me in sophomore year of high school, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have a lot of that. You have the idea that he can't get over a test he took at college. Like, these are not panty peeler things i mean these are not like <laughs> these are not masculine alpha male oh, in the, like in the 24th century things. do you not remember that episode where he's talking about that test he took no he tastes that but like this not being able to get over the goddamn pre-ganglionic whatever like that 
that is not a sign of a strong person. That's a sign of a weak person. So even if you like Bashir and like him on the show and think he works well and think he's well represented by, you still have to say that he's weaker than Crusher just by design at this point. Yeah. And so that and that automatically sort of shades how you. Right. Well, I mean, like, I guess argue, you could argue that DS9 subverting the Star Trek thing again, where yeah. instead of having like an older like or just a doctor that knows their shit and is at the top of their profession, he's like coming in. He's a new swinging dick from right out of the academy. Yeah. But they throw that to the side pretty quickly by the time we're here in the third season when he's he's up for very prestigious awards and all that bullshit. For and he is a swinging dick, but it's almost like it goes out of his way to show his conceitedness. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, yeah. he becomes like a ridicule, like a caricature. You mean like a pickup artist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like the way that, you know, the way that normal people look at pickup artists, oh, yeah. not the way they look at themselves. Oh, man. If Bashir started wearing eyeliner and a top hat, a velvet top hat, I think maybe I could swallow the screen time a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I, I see what I see what he's saying. I, I still disagree. I think that the writers are at fault by doing stuff that's outside of an actor's range. Yeah. Like, you're not going to stretch... Good writers write for actors. Yeah. Right. You're not going to stretch some of these people beyond their capabilities. And I think we definitely see them wise up to that whenever we see the screen time get proportionate to talent and charisma. Yeah. You know, like, Yodo <laughs> gets more, mm-hmm. Armin Shimmer mm-hmm. gets more, uh, Avery Brooks gets a little bit more, uh... All right. That was a pretty great. Thank you, Greg, for that. All right. And we've got an email from a new caller, which we haven't heard from before. This is a pretty good voicemail. I'm excited to hear from it, I believe. This is Tom from Cleveland. Gentlemen, this is Tom from Cleveland. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Uh, I just want to say you guys are doing a great job. I love your level of knowledge. It's, it's the Goldilocks zone for a Star Trek podcast. You guys seem well-versed in both culture and Star Trek, but not so much to make it inaccessible. I know we're not supposed to talk about past tense anymore, but I'd just like to compliment you on the piece <laughs> on the progressive responsibility of artists that you did at the end. I thought that was a, a great thing. My question for you, uh, I, I do think the DS9 is probably the most accessible of all the Star Trek series, and I think a part of that is, is the villains. It's got the best villains. Cardassians, for all they're supposed to be metaphors for, which are really the worst people in the history of our planet, are just such a lovable character. I could listen to a Cardassian monologue all day. You know, I, I sometimes lull myself to sleep with the dulcet tones of Gul Dukat waxing philosophical on the Cardassian's place in the universe. And I just, what else is it about the villains, the, the Cardassians, the Vorta, and to the, a lesser extent, the Ferengi, that just make them so endearing and so much fun to watch? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and I look forward to hearing myself on the podcast. Uh, we'll call back in the future, but keep up the great work. I was just thinking, too, how awful it would be if this podcast were to end, and you've done all this hard work for the first three seasons, and now that we're really getting into the meat of the show. Whatever you have to do, whatever you have to sell me, I will happily buy to keep the thing going. All right. Well, have a great day, and looking forward to hearing you on Monday. Bye. All right. Well, do you guys have a theory about why? I think that the villains are so interesting on Star Trek Deep Space Nine by design, because quite frankly, I think the the people writing the show want you to have complicated feelings about the bad guys, because the bad guys in history are complicated characters. They're not simple solutions to problems. So, like... 
Whereas before, you're getting sort of like afternoon serial Western type bad guys with your TV shows. Now you're getting people who are stealing from history, their villains, and that inherently makes them more interesting, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think part of it's like what makes DS9 a great show, in my opinion, the best of the Star Trek shows, but also just different. Well, we'll not say better, but just different than the other Star Treks in that like, You live with these people through the whole show, like the Cardassians especially. They're still Mm one-off aliens every now and then. But like for TNG, it was a new crisis every week. Whereas Deep Space Nine, you're living with these people and they're more interested in talking about like the gray situations. Like all the villains in TNG and to a lesser extent TOS are like mental problems. How do we wrap this around this evolved mindset that we're in how do we do these kind of logic puzzles around the whatever the solution is to these monsters or whatever mm-hmm. whereas like with ds9 it's like no the cardassians are a thing that the bajorans have been living with for a long time and they have to they can't ignore they have to keep dealing with them they don't go away and once you live with something for a while even if, if you deal with you learn you get stockholm syndrome to an extent even if they're evil people yeah well it's almost And this is where fiction can do a lot of really good. Okay, so just historically, people seem to be gravitated to pretty awful people. From Nero to Caligula to Napoleon to Ivan the Terrible. There's tons of history books written about him. And there's people that are obsessed with these figures. But we have in the 20th century, we have the Nazis, which are so close to us and so extremely toxic yeah just abhorrent that it's hard it's hard for most of us uh not enough of us (laughs) right most of us to be disgusted by it to the point where we can't in any way approach them the way we do history's other horrid villains um like napoleon was a pretty awful fucking person you know like i've read books on napoleon before and 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 i've read books on hitler but in a much more like you know steel rotted way and colonialists because i think it was kate that last made the point that that the more perfect analogy is colonialism. And when none of us, because the atrocities to that are so close to us in the 20th uh, right well in the 20th it's century. part of our makeup so we can't say yeah was, we're almost a generation that was born after that so it's hard to like yeah we're a result of it without the, colonialism we wouldn't live where we are yeah yeah <laughs> and in the really sort of toxic horrible 20th century mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. british colonialism too yeah but yeah, not um, like when we killed this all is the a way Native to americans <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that was all yeah <laughs> this is a way to decontextualize Nazis and colonialists and and sort of tell their villainous stories in a way that is easier to put our empathy in. Mm-hmm. Like I don't Cardassians are the bad guys They're not a, They're not the good guys Right We're not rooting for them In but any point I'd, I'd rather watch an episode About Cardassians Than an episode about Bajoran Yeah, yeah Any yeah, day Yeah totally Yeah, yeah. So, We're not and, rooting and for them But we still can relate to them Yeah I don't feel a social and moral imperative To not like Cardassians <laughs> right, right. Let's put it that way So yeah that's where That's where I stand So I think that it's nice To have that Fiction affords us that To where we can actually Look at these people In a context Yeah So, so. it's the miracle of fiction Being able to afford us The ability to look at Awful people up close mm-hmm. It's the fact that This is the only Star Trek Where they're not going anywhere So they have to live With the bad guys Over a long period of time Yeah And it's also the fact That the writers of the show Are drawing upon his, History itself for, To construct So it's pro- like All three of those things Yeah Yeah Alright And other things he brought up Yeah We're in it for the long haul Tom He brought up like Oh, oh I hope yeah, we, yeah. I hope we we don't oh, quit. Oh, 
no, pay us, Tom. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll take. Right, we're not we're not ruling out the chance of us bringing out a piggy bank at some point, but <laughs> yeah, 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 we're locked in. Like, yeah. this is we've mm-hmm. already made it past where other Deep Space Nine podcasts have dropped off and ghosted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not here to talk shit to anybody. No, especially just yeah. bones on the wayside. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of things we're not casual friends we're close friends (laughs) and so so it would be a weird thing not to do this (laughs) right we need an excuse to to talk Uh, because yeah so it would be like socially weird for us not to finish this so it's not like that we're flinging out and just like we we enjoy this even when we're not liking it we're liking it i think right i mean like yeah yeah yeah. But pay us, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but we'll take but your money. <laughs> we'll get we'll we'll put the option up soon enough for you. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna work something out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure yeah, something out. We're we're looking into piggy bank. Wade, Wade so. spends a lot of time. His he does. time is worth something. Because <laughs> yeah. people it sounds when three people are talking, it sounds like it's a three person show, but behind the scenes mm-hmm. it's it's much more propped up on Wade's like blood <laughs> yeah, sweat. Very much. We we all do stuff. We all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I feel I'm like like Ringo, where Paul could come in and play some of the parts in the drums if I'm too out of it to yeah. do it. Yeah, well, oh, I know I'm going to steal your comment about us being in the Goldilocks zone of Star Trek podcast. Yeah. That that might go in our copy material, <laughs> like yeah. our, our press material. Yeah, I, I think that if we could get the word out that we're not... I don't want to offend those people, but those people, like, <laughs> like you know, what? That we're not those. wearing foam Spock ears when we record this. <laughs> Deep Trek nerds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we're not that. I think that. Um, that we love I, you. I, I, You're our bread and butter. We do. Trekkers. Trekkers. Yeah. We love you very much. Or I do. I can't speak for we, these assholes. We, but. <laughs> we like you too. <laughs> but I love you. I love what you. Do you. What do you always say when you don't want to say you love your girlfriend? You know, You're very special. <laughs> Star Trek is very special. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I, me I too. <laughs> and you're very special. <laughs> yeah. no, okay, so that, yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Hope that didn't get awkward. Let's see. All right. Yeah, well, we've gone a while here. Um, okay. Um, do you guys have any plugs? Oh, yeah. Are we going to do plugs? Oh. Yeah, I mean, just... Just real quick, a plug at the end. Yeah, we're gonna extract you to other things. Yeah, so you you go first. You're the more developed plug. <laughs> I'm not. Um, well, I have uh, a weekly comic strip that it can be found on the web if you're on Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter. It's called Crimes Against Humanities. You can find it in your Google machine by typing that in. I'm also on Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com/backslash/cahm. So you can find me there. And yeah, check it out. You might like it. Yeah. I'll just say that this week, uh, something I've been working on for a while now that I finally, it's live. I've started a YouTube channel where I, most people who watch the show know that I'm a hardcore leftist and I end up pretty animated. Yeah. For all our listeners that hate all our SJW. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I am, this, you should go to, so I've decided to actually create a thing where like, so I have a video channel. It's on YouTube and it's called forever. James's no space. No space. Yeah. So forever, James, is look it up. And it's got one video on there right now. And it's it's an hour and seven minutes long, which is pretty damn long. And I'm sorry about that. But the, the conceit is that for the next uh, little bit, I will be reading a major right wing work and sort of unpacking that because I think that there's a body of conservative literature that the left doesn't bother reading. So we're not familiar with the arguments and can effectively counter them. 
And so I've decided to take it upon myself to try and do this. So the first one, I, I take up Charles Murray and Richard Hernstein's The Bell Curve, which is kind of the book that it's about racial differences and intelligence, but it's used by a lot of white nationalists. And I sort of unpack that uh, a lot. So I, I would encourage you to check that out. I'm pretty proud of it. And I'm, it's going to be an ongoing thing for me. So I would like you to check it out. And if you like it, subscribe and comment. Yeah. And um, I don't know what I have to push for well, you. Well, they're listening to it. If you're in Brooklyn, he's got <laughs> yeah, a... Unless you're in... If you're in New York, you can come see my <laughs> dumb comedy show that I do. With, there you go. I mean, it's not dumb. It, I mean, it's dumb comedy because that's... For dumb in the good way. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Out at QED in Astoria, if you're in New York City and all the boroughs, look up No Feelings Presents. Go to QED Astoria. You'll fe- you'll find it. No Feelings Presents in QED Astoria. Yeah. Which is where the bunkers yeah, were from. Which, I mean, I, I hope all our international listeners will book a f- flight and fly in for this $10 show at, at a small venue in... See, the beautiful Queens of yeah, Story. At the end of the line on the subway in Queens. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. But yeah, okay. Sweet. I think that's all we got for this week. And unfortunately, I think that we've decided we're going to start plugging at the end of each of these podcasts. So. All right. Yeah. We'll try to, we should, <laughs> we should get our pitch down real fast so we can yeah, get it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get it standardized. But uh, yeah. All right. I think that's all we got for this week, right? That's right. All right. All right. You want to give the voice? Uh, I guess you don't need to give the voicemail out. Do oh my God. Yeah. We love hearing from you. Give us a call, please. Uh, reach us at rules of acquisition podcast at gmail.com. Give us a call, please. At our voicemail hotline at 917-408-3898. We want to hear from you. Uh, we love you. Don't be an asshole, or actually be an asshole, and we'll be one back. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. Go to James's uh, we, YouTube we page; it. you'll see we can be assholes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can get pretty snarky when I'm talking <laughs> to some some white na- when I'm fighting white nationalists in the gladiatorial comment section. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, but yeah, I think that's all we got for you this week, right? Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Three to beam out. See you guys. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line, where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes. They will play them on air and try to be nice to you, because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898 that number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are, that is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.